Would you please go to prayer with me? Lord, we just lift your name on high. We know that all things work together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose, Lord. And we are going to celebrate that beautiful promise. Uh, please empower Linda Ruth today as she opens God's word, as she opens uh, a message that we all need to hear, Lord. Give her clarity, thought, articulating a beautiful message from you, Lord. And Lord, prepare our hearts, Lord. Open them, open our ears, and help us to stay focused, to hear just what you want us to hear today, Lord. And help us to apply what we learn, Lord, that we become more like you, more righteous in our living, Lord. And we thank you for what you are about to do through Linda Ruth today. In your precious name I pray, amen. Louder? Louder? Okay. Good morning. Okay. I left crying last night. I woke up crying this morning. I came in crying. So I'm going to keep crying this morning. I'm so honored to be with you. That's why I have tears of joy. And I, I said to the gals last night, I, I went disgracefully over last night. So I'm going to try to go politely over. And I was given a little permission, but it's because I, I really toiled and spent hours and hours in this word and a lot of joy and sorrow and pain and stories to tell you to give you hope. And I believe that I have some things to encourage your heart. So, so bear with me. I'm going to try to honor protocol but i may go over and joey stop laughing at me <laughs> the other thing i said to them last night which is even more so because so many of you walk life with me that you know if i was asked to do this passage at another church and they don't know me they just think like oh linda ruth common and give an encouraging message like all oh, things work together for good yay like here if i said that you you many of you would have the privilege really of saying linda ruth <laughs> you know, liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> I know that you have said, I hate this passage. I wrestle with this passage. I've told friends of mine at some very hard points in my life, I don't want to hear Romans 8, 28 from you. I literally said that to Penny Freeman and Karen Keller the day after I got news that both my sons were moving away with their dad and I had no idea that was happening. And that was the only time in life when I, I'm not suicidal. So here I'm not saying, but I did have the conversation with God that said, if you're interested, I'm ready. So take me. Because at that point, having lost a mother and brother and father and no family, and then my boys being gone, hard stuff. So, um, if you ask me, all things were together for the good, do they really? Nothing could separate us from the love of God. Really? Let me count the ways. That's my honest heart. So I tore up the scriptures, literally and figuratively, and I actually couldn't get past the all things and the nothing. And I was just stuck there for months in this passage. I mean, in it for a year so what happened because i'm an artist and i visually responded to this is the only way i could get through it so this is my all things nothing cross because this is the only hope that we have it brings us always back to the cross the nothing 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 can separate you from the love of god nothing can separate you and all things really do work for good a few years ago, I couldn't say that to you. I would never ask to teach this passage because I didn't believe it. I didn't love it. I didn't own it. And I was angry with God and there was separation. And you know that poster, you feel like God's far away. 
guess who moved? <laughs> it's not God. It's me. But I paint this picture of my despair, for lack of a better word, um, because now I can be, I hope the poster, the poster child for joy that it really does. And I can tell you now, because of you and your prayers and, and pressing into God and the teachings and what his word says is true, I can say that it does, but it doesn't come without blood, sweat, tears, and pain and time. So um, I, I kind of identified a lot with uh, what Tracy said last week when she said, God, you could have intervened. You're God. Why didn't you stop it? I've been a millionaire for every time I've said that to God. And I thought of, I don't know if any of you know Lisa Beamer. She's the widow of Todd Beamer from the flight. Um, 93, 9-1, he tried to <clears throat> overpower the hijackers. This is what she says about Romans 8.28. It ties in with what um, Tracy said and what I have wrestled with. She said, God says, I knew on September 10 I could have stopped it. But I have a plan for greater good than you can ever imagine. And then she says, I don't know God's plan. And honestly, right now, I don't like it very much. But I trust that he is true to his promise in Romans 8, 28. Hmm. Yes. So I honestly don't like God's plan sometimes. And if you're honest, you don't either. <laughs> but he much rather would be honest with him and say, I don't like it, God. Like Job, he's kvetching, complaining and crying. But he never left his presence. He still duped it out with God, right? So wrestle with him all you want, but stay in his presence, stay with him. So as we head into the scriptures, um, my little breakdown, I don't know if you folks can see in the back, verses 28 to 30, your bad things will turn out for good. Verses 31 to 36, your good things can never be taken away from you. And 37 through 39, your best things are yet to come. So this is kind of our crescendo. We've been dealing with this, the theology of sin, the theology of suffering, Today, I want to call it the theology of SOS, which is security of our salvation, which also stands for help, right? Um, so I want to unpack that a little bit. But again, my spirit has come a long way from being that of Naomi. Don't call me Naomi Pleasant. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. And having carried a lot of that bitterness, uh, it did a number on me. It did a number on my kids. It did a number on my faith. Also, Jacob in Genesis 42, 36, he says, you've deprived me of my children. Everything is against me. I have literally felt that. But then the passages go on. I won't spend too much time in it, but we know that he did renew the life. He says for Naomi, he will renew your life and sustain you in old age. After she lost everything dear, God still had something good for her. Obed, grandson, right? And then also with Jacob, it says later on in the passage that he was revived when he saw the cards sent to carry him back and his, with his estranged family. The spirit of their father, Jacob, was revived. So I want today to be a tone of renewal and revival for us in light of the sin and suffering pain that we carry. The two are always juxtaposed. It's never going to be, yay, it's all great, or yay, it's all horrible. It's always going to be, it's hard, Lord, but you're good. I'm struggling, Lord, but you're in control. I, I'm having a hard time believing it, but I know your promises are true. And that's the dance in the wrestle of life on planet Earth, as long as we're here stuck in these bodies, okay? So getting the right lens on suffering, which is, as a photographer, I always had um, like a zoom-in lens in my heart. And I always had the wrong definition of what the word good meant. And I could spend an hour talking to you about good. And what is it? 
And I always thought the good was for me. I have an opinion of what I thought good things for me. Keep my mom alive and my brother alive and a happy, healthy marriage and a shore house and my children and grandchildren and a mother-in-law who loves me and, you know, my good. So Tim Keller, uh, of course, what's the Bible say without Tim Keller? Um, He says, underneath the sorrow is a fountain of joy, even when you're given bad news. Suffering is the path to discovering his love. And I I thought about suffering and compassion. So many of you are compassionate and have literally come to my house and picked me up and peeled me up off the floor. And frankly, some of you, I've peeled you and picked you up too. And that's the beauty of our sisterhood, right? But the suffering, compassion, I love the two of them. The Latin root for, for the word compassion is pati, which means suffering. The prefix calm is with. So compassion actually means suffering with. And then we have that incredible invitation, Philippians 3.10, the fellowship of suffering. It sounds like an oxymoron, right? You think fellowship, yay, party, let's suffer. But um, it's to, to more deeply and profoundly experience Jesus. And that's a party. <laughs> that's a celebration. So what's your, what's your view on suffering? My view is what is happening to me. God's view is what's happening in me. The non-believer's view is it's punishment. And if we're really honest, some Christians might think I'm being punished too. That's in back in 1987 in high school. I didn't mean it, God. It's like, you're a minister. Get behind me, Satan. Get that fiery dart away. Okay, there's a real enemy who attacks us in our mind and our brain all the time. So it's warfare. So it's not punishment. And we're going to move on to that freedom that you have. Back to the cross. And believer's view, it's development. So again, my our view, what's happening to me? God's view, what's happening in me? The non-believer, it's punishment. The Christian, it should be development. Paul's theology of suffering is groaning, longing, and waiting. We do some of that too, don't we? So just ask yourself where you are on the spectrum of suffering, which is inescapable in this world and that we're accountable to. But what do we do with it? How do you have hope in the midst of it? The perennial question, why? And over time, I'm very thankful to say that God has been able to change the question for me of why not me? Who are you, Linda Ruth? Who are we? We're no, we're nobody special. Why not me? And then my other why question was, why God would, why would you pay such an awful price for somebody like me? That's the real why. Too soon to cry. Sorry. So okay, we're gonna Romans eight twenty eight is kind of the crescendo, right? We're gonna get a little bit of hope. It's the rest and hope that accompanies being a child of God. And just to save time, I'm not gonna read all the verses because you've been in it. You're smart ladies. You can read and you've been studying. So I'm trying to cut cut corners wherever I can. But I want to break down this verse into four different components. And we know is the certainty of God's care. It's with absolute knowledge he's causing things to work for good. All things work together. That's the comprehensiveness of God's care. And that includes the bad things, kind of especially includes the bad things, because that's the stuff where he really works and gets the glory. I love 2 Corinthians 9, 8. It's so, so comprehensive of that, the all things that I struggle with. It says, all grace abounds to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's a lot of all. It's a great verse, and I believe it. 
but it's where I get in trouble a lot too. Like, really? That still comes in like, really, Lord, this situation, all things. So secondly, for the good, culmination of God's care. All right. And thirdly, it's the condition of God's care. It's for those who are called and according to his purpose. So again, certainty of God's care. And we know with absolute knowledge, comprehensiveness of God's care, all things work together, including the bad, the culmination of God's care. It's for the good. <laughs> Excuse me. And that's where your lens is it eternal or is it temporal? quick illustration of how bad it is and how bad I was. I, the, the week after I was told my children are moving six hours away and I had no idea and parenthood was guillotined and I was ready to just leave earth. I was doing art therapy with a neuroradiologist, Bill, who I adore every Saturday morning. And he, I walked in and I was just like death on my face. Alzheimer's, he's gone. And he just looked at me, he's like, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing. And he said, what's wrong? I said, I had a fight with God. And he just says, who won? <laughs> I said, who do you think won, Bill? <laughs> and then he says to me, I thought you said God was good. And then I said, shut up, Bill, not today. That's how hard I was that a Jewish atheist man with Alzheimer's had to remind me that God was good. That's pitiful. Don't get to that point. Here are some good thoughts on good. Good is verse 29, conformity to the image of his son. Good is looking like Jesus. Good is greater intimacy with him. Good is greater understanding of his love for me. Good is greater dependence on him. Good is he promises to be with us and go through it with us. That's good. And lastly, let me just reiterate the condition of God's cares for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So who does this good apply to? This is us. I missed that show, True Confession. I'm sorry, isn't that terrible? I kind of liked it in the beginning, but it's for us. It's for the children of God. It's for his sons and daughters. It's the shield of the Christian. His good is for us. And that condition of his care is evident. I'm going to hit 829 through 30. Again, you can read it for yourself. Um, the they, this, the uh, theologians have called this the golden chain of salvation, predestination. And I'm going to leave a lot of that to Annie for next week. To Annie, Sarah, Abraham, and the children of promise. I am not a theologian. If you have questions about election and predestination, Go talk to the elders, talk to Anthony, talk it through, please. I'm just a simple girl. I just, for me in my house, I just believe it and I love it and I find truth and I'm so glad loves me and he called me and he knows me. So I'm sorry that I'm not smart enough to really get deep, but Annie and the elders can. So what I'm going to do is what Paul has done. I'm going to share scripture with you, lists with you and questions with you. Okay. This is what Michael Horton says. Why is the subject of election and predestination so divisive? Why is it that whenever the terms are brought up in conversation, people move to other parts of the room? If you ever want to clear a room in a hurry, just announce a discussion of predestination. <laughs> election is too close. When we give into election, we finally give up on ourselves in the matter of salvation. 
This doctrine takes grace to its logical conclusion. If God saves me without my works, then he must choose me apart from them too. I've often thought that one good defense for the inspiration of scripture is the doctrine of election. For no mortal man or woman could have invented an idea that so glorifies God and so humbles the human ego. Now, the only explanation I have for all of that is just scripture. God says it, and I believe it. I'm sorry. That's all I can say. It's a beautiful doctrine. You know the five of them. Foreknew, predestined, called, justified, glorified. So, okay, we're four out of five have happened. Which one didn't happen yet? Yeah, this is not what glorification looks like. <laughs> no offense to you. You don't look like you either. We didn't die yet, okay? But it's coming. We get to die soon. All right? You get to be glorified soon. Um, John MacArthur, I love it. He said, regarding foreknew, predestined, he said, God foreloved us. Did you love that? It just didn't foreknow us, foreknew us. God foreloved us, and he predestined us to be his child. But it's still hard. It's still uncomfortable. The potter and the clay, the push, the tug, the pressure. And if you know, as artists, or you can just work with Plato. Um, it's, a, it's a molding and shaping dynamic that hurts and is painful. But it's worth it. In the message, Psalm 139, Eugene Peterson addresses that. He says, oh, yes, you shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God. You're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life, all prepared before I'd even lived one day. I can't explain any of these things to you because scripture does a good enough job with it. And then Ephesians 1, 6, which I really love Paul's take on it here. He, he says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be two things. Anybody know? Who said it? Well, you win. You get, you, get, you get the prize to be holy and blameless. So he didn't just choose us just to be his. That's great. Don't get me wrong. But he also expects of us to be holy and blameless in his sight. And then he says, he didn't just predestine us, but it says in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he again has freely given us in the one he loves back to the cross sisters. It always comes back here, babe, go there. So why did he choose you to be holy and blameless? And it's just not to satisfy that position. He also wants relationship with you. He wants to be family with you. And believe me, that really speaks to me as a, an adult orphan. Like, yeah, I want to really be in your family too. And that's a great gift, isn't it? To know that we're not orphanless. And I remember clearly when, um, after my mom had died, I was 13, and my poor Papa Jack, he was left with, like, he buried his son, buried his wife, and left with this crazy, wild 13-year-old daughter. And people wanted to adopt me and give me a normal life, whatever normal is. And my Aunt Flory and Uncle Norman and my first-grade teacher, Carol Cartoon, who stayed with me my whole life and had pictures of my boys in her refrigerator, like that kind of first-grade teacher. And they wanted to give me 
normal. And what I remember to this day is my unsaved Papa Jack, but the best non-Christian father kid could have. He just said, thank you. He said, but she's my kid and I'm keeping her. I don't know what I'm going to do with her, but I'm keeping her. And thank you, Papa Jack, who two months before he died, gave his life to Jesus at 91. So don't give up, by the way, on those you love. But God, on the other hand, knew exactly what he was going to do with me. He foreknew and he planned it and he predestined. And I rest in that exactly God knew plan. And I also rejoice in Papa Jack being clueless. <laughs> but knowing he loved me and he was sticking with me. Who so used to tell me as a little girl, Linda Ruth, you can do anything. You're like an idiot. I believed him. Okay. So that beauty of that non-Christian father made it very easy for me to approach my godly heavenly father. I didn't have daddy issues. <laughs> I, I knew my papa. I was safe with my dad. And so that really made it easy for me to approach God. I didn't have to do a lot of unlearning. Anyway, you're calling. I think about Samuel, right? Samuel, Karen, Maureen, Susan, Lisa, Annie. Speak, Lord. Use me. I'm your servant. Your calling is high and mighty and personal and deep and evolves and changes and it's sacred. Listen to it. Embrace it. You all have one and they're all different, but they're powerful. The word ecclesia, which is calling to himself, it's a Greek word defined as called out as an assembly in a church. We are the ecclesia, the church, the called out ones. And that's to enter, not just to be called out, but also to enter into his rest two really good dynamics, like call out, enter in. That's good. So the day you respond to his calls, the day you said yes and recognize the shepherd's voice, that's the day of your calling. The day you're calling is when you became aware of who you are in him. The day of your calling, what he has called you to and how he has called you to himself. I like to say he kind of woos, you know, he kind of woos you, pulls you in. He knows, he knows just how to work you. Derek Thomas had the right lens on calling too. He said, this is our calling to gaze deliberately and see things as they will be, not as they are. Again, that was my big old downfall. I see how it is right near, here now in the temporal, not the eternal. To see things as they will be, not as they are. And Romans eleven twenty nine says that God's gift and his call are irrevocable. They're unalterable, sisters. God won't change his mind about what he's called you to. And here's the thing. It's whether you're obedient or not, the calling remains. Whether he has called you, whatever he's called you to do, he'll also equip you and make provision. It's a very intimate call. And justification, basically, that's your eternal security, right? You're considered his own. We're adopted. You're fully conformed to the image of Jesus. Jesus. It's the gracious and judicial act of God fully releasing us from the penalty of sin and remembering free gift, free gift. You're just, and he's justifying us because he knew we'd mess up. <laughs> he knew we'd blow it and we continue to. And he did it anyway. That's how much he loves us. So if you're justified, you will be glorified. And glorification, again, that's your new body in heaven and hasn't happened yet. We're not the best version of ourselves, but he's working on us. And I love that God, he speaks it uh, in the past tense because he's so convinced that it's going to happen. He knows it's going to happen. So rejoice in that justification that's coming.
um, the security and salvation. So here it is. We're going to come try to wind up, but Paul, love a man who asks questions, okay? Questions, and he answers them too, and then he gives us lists, all right? That's beautiful. You see all the questions. I'm going to save time and not read them all, but I was thinking about questions, how important they are. And uh, in some of my research, just for your information, um, Jesus asked 307 questions in the Gospels. He, he is asked 183 questions in the Gospel, but he only answers three. If you're like me, you're like, what are they? What are those three? I didn't have time to research that. But if you're interested, there's a book by Martin B. Copenhaver, and it's actually called Jesus is the Question. The 307 questions Jesus asked and the three he answered. So I just find that interesting about questions. And I also think it's interesting that sin entered the world through a question, right? Genesis 3.1. Did God really say? It's just kind of an interesting thought. You must not eat from the tree. So the big five, okay? If, if God is for us, who is against us? The second one, how will he not give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who is to condemn? Who shall separate us from the love of God? And then Paul answers them. We don't need to unpack everyone specifically, but generally speaking, that if God is for us, who can be against us? So who's your who? Who's your who? Who's against you? Starting with your own self. <laughs> Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's your parent. Maybe it's your coworker. Maybe it's your neighbor. We all have different who's, the enemies in this world. And of course, the early Christians had numerous enemies that opposed them. Paul certainly had his enemies. And we as believers have enemies opposing us today in the media, right, that present us negatively. Radi global radical movements and cultural shifts present biblical views as evil. And again, our own self, those personal enemies. So whoever your who is, here's their challenge. They would have to overcome the God who is for us. So come at me, baby. Who are you? Who, 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 who? Remember that song back in the day? Who can remove our no condemnation status? They got nothing on us. Paid in full. Blood-bought daughters. Impenetrable. Impenetrable. Are those against us greater than those for us? And I love what John MacArthur says. If God is for us, who could possibly successfully pull us away? If God is for us, who could possibly successfully pull us away? God will never release us. That's good news. Can I get a little amen here? Okay. Can we get a little Pentecostal here? Let's, Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Stand, girls. Who did not spare his own possession? Gave him up again for all things. And again, John MacArthur says, if he loved us enough when we were wretched sinners to give us his only son to save us, which was his most and the best, wouldn't he do less than that to keep us? If the cross had so much good in it, how much more the crown? So who can bring charge against us? Who can, who can condemn us? Well, the short answer, the accuser of the brethren. Can we take a minute to talk about warfare? That it's very real. We don't talk a lot about that here, but, you know, it's really real. There's an enemy. It's not just... Satan hates you, so take captive every thought the obedience of Christ when those fiery darts come. 
Yeah, but he hates you and he wants to kill you and your family and everything that you've worked for and all that God's done in you. And he's going to attack you, not just 24-7, 25-8, from the minute you wake up to the minute you get up in every relationship, in every, in every dynamic. There's an enemy who hates you. And if you don't stay dressed in the full armor of God, you're doomed. So stay dressed, girls. Wake up every morning with that shield and with that armor and with that sword. And dress your family through prayer because it's real. So the enemy, that's who can condemn us. That's who can really try to steal our joy. Shall God, the one who intercedes for us, it's impossible for God to condemn the one he has made righteous. It's just not in his character. He can't do it. He can't condemn and justify at the same time. Oil and vinegar, it don't mix. He already bore the condemnation for us. So there, again, there's nothing left for him to condemn in us. Remember that song back in the day? Therefore now, no condemnation. Therefore now, no condemnation. Therefore now, no condemnation. For there's no condemnation in my heart. Romans 8.1 reminds us of that. We didn't get in by our goodness. We don't stay there by our goodness. And we can't get out by our lack of goodness. Isn't that liberating? We didn't get in by our goodness. We don't stay there by our goodness. And we can't get out by a lack of goodness. No accusation can change the verdict. Do battle and do it well. His death is the only condemnation you'll ever know. And he satisfied it at the cross. The security of your salvation. We're going to move on and wrap up with the list. Okay. Start who can separate us from the love of God. This list was the reality path for Christians all over the world for centuries. And it still is for a lot of us today. Truth be told, um, you know, down to 37. No, and all these things, we are more than conquerors. So Paul emphatically challenges anyone to prove that they can separate us from God's love. And when you think about a conqueror, and this is this is where I'm probably going to lose lose all my dignity and respect and never be asked to teach women's Bible study again. But this is what came to mind when I thought about what does it look like to be a woman of God and a conqueror and a warrior? And this is what I came up with. So bear with me. We are, oh, I lost my little speaker. So let's just throw that back in the pocket. Okay. This is it. This is the balance, I thought. Flowers, which are lovely, lovely Christian women, and warriors, right? More than conquerors. I think this is going to be my Christmas card this year. If anybody wants to take a picture and use it when you're going through a bad day, you can use it. You can play me with this. We are warrior women who can still be beautiful and fragrant in the aroma of Christ and be light in this ugly, dark, stinky, dying world. But we, yeah, go ahead, because I need this picture for my sons. And I want it on the cover of my funeral when I die. And you have the thing here. Last time I was here, I gave you folders for, my fun- for your funeral. Anyway, so this is it. You're warriors. You're conquerors. Do battle, but do it with integrity and beauty and power and confidence and grace. Don't be like, okay, and don't just be a wuss. Like, yes, God loves you. Okay, it's like, he loves you, but it's battle. Get near me, okay? You got the point, okay? So I kind of think about Jael, you know, in Judges um, 5 and 6, the prophetess Deborah, 
I grew up with women like Judge Judy, the Italian judge, you know, so I feel like Deb, Judge Debbie, you know, like I feel like she she might have been kind of a toughie and she was in um, going to war and she and Barack have this conversation and he wants her to come to battle with her and she's like, oh, and then um, she says, well, a woman's going to get going to be the heroine and that woman was Jael in Judges 5 24 27 I love it and it says that uh, Jael offered hospitality to sister of the commander of the Canaanite army and she invites she's a Bedouin housewife but the ha- we're like the housewives of Dresher right or the, the the daughters of the king of Dresher that's us so she invites him in may have some water she gives him a warm meal puts a little rug over him he goes to sleep and what does she do she like hammers a ten peg into his temple and she's the heroine <laughs> okay have a good day <laughs> so anyway that's the power we have like jael and we're more than conquerors but paul is also presupposing that there's a battle there's something you got to conquer right if you're going to be a conqueror he presupposes that you're in a fight so Need I say more? Uh, then he goes on to his list of um, all-encompassing list of things that we might fear in the universe that would separate us from the love of God. Not events, not time, not power, not any created thing. You know the list. It's all before you. Um, and the death, uh, we're over, so I'm, I'm coming down the home stretch, I promise. I'm doing a lot better than last night. Thank you for praying. The, the death or life thing, I call it the spectrum of opposites, right? Death, life present future height depth they're opposite do you have that when your kids are little like dress for opposite day to day in school right so when i think about death life that's 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 sort of been the struggle in my life um i come from a family do you remember that movie moonstruck with Cher? she plays loretta castorini nicholas she's getting engaged to ronnie camarari by nicholas um, Nicholas Cage, and then um, Olympia Dukakis, she plays her mom, Rose. So she comes in in the middle of the night. She, Ronnie just proposed. She's got the ring. The mother's sound asleep in the bed, and she wakes up, Mom, Mom. And the mom, she just goes, Who died from a sound sleep? That's what the mother wakes up to. I live with people like that. That's, you know, that's why I'm this way, um, because we're always thinking, Who died? I'm always living life with the catcher's mitt, and that's a confession like, okay, just ready for the next curveball. And you know what? That's a warped view of my father. That's not a resting, trusting position. I want to be, who lived? What happened? What's the, what's the good news? So I got to unlearn a lot of things, but it's not good when you wake up from a sound sleep and just say, who dies when your daughter wakes you up with good news? So the good news sometimes is that um, death for some of us can seem better than this life. <laughs> sometimes it's an, death is an escape for some people who are hopeless and without the gospel. And sometimes we get really consumed with this world and life and accomplishments and business and we lose sight. And life can cause more fear than death in us. The future is always ominous and full of fear and the present is never quite satisfying. We're always swayed with our perception of time. So again, these are just the wrestlings, heights and depths. Some things in life are high and great and exciting and other things are low and painful and difficult. Oh, the dance of being human on planet Earth. So Paul's argument is this, that nothing enters in our life that is able or sufficient to separate us from, from God's love demonstrated on the cross. Again, it doesn't matter what your heart says. It doesn't matter what Satan says. 
you're going to stand free on judgment day. God's love surpasses anything else in all creation. That's the takeaway. So let's close with your lists of what's your spectrum opposites in your life that separate you from the love of God. Now we're going to get down and dirty and close with the real life stuff, not just the life, death, principalities and darkness, but what are your opposites? Is it exhaustion versus exhilaration? Is it purpose, purposelessness versus bold ambition? Is it depression or unwavering hope? Is it anxiety or omnipotent love? Is it rescuing or releasing? Tormented or liberated? Panic attacks or praises? Politics or peace? Facebook or faithfulness? And maybe your all things list. Can you really say all things work together for the good when your marriage is on the verge of divorce? When the cancer prognosis came back? When there's turmoil and confusion in your home? When your spouse or you or somebody were reckless with economic activity and you're in financial bankruptcy? When your communication with your kids are falling apart? When your kids have confusion about their biology? When your beautiful daughter who you've invested in tells you she loves someone else's little daughter. When your handsome, strong son tells you that he loves someone else's son. When your husband tells you he likes someone else's wife. When you find things on your children's website or on their phone that is disgraceful. Will all things work together for good? And how about your temporal or eternal needs that can be superficial? How's it going to work out when my tiles from Italy didn't come in in the wrong shade of blue? (laughs) Really? (laughs) The cabin installation took way too long. (laughs) We couldn't get the shore house for the 4th of July. I don't know how I'm going to survive this summer. (laughs) I can't find those $120 sneakers my kid needed for the sports team. It's just driving me crazy. I don't know. He's going to be so disappointed. How's he going to believe in God if I can't hook him up with those sneakers? My husband said only one Manny and Petty a month now. My kid only got $10,000 scholarship for that Ivy League school. I didn't have, they didn't have the iPhone color that I wanted. These are big problems, girls. The price of gold is down. We had a hard week. Not real. First world problems. Take a mission trip. Be a global citizen as we sat here. 500 little girls were maybe sold into sex trafficking in Pakistan. Maybe a thousand died of malnutrition. And we worry about these superficial things. I'm not judging. I'm not throwing shade. I'm just trying to give us a wide angle lens, an eternal lens, and a panoramic lens because it's too too easy to get back to what's important to me and not what's important to God. So your personal reflection questions, and I'm going to leave you. Number one is, are you willing to reframe your questions? Not why God, but what God would you have me to learn in this situation? Okay, not why God, but what God would you have me to learn? Secondly, do you believe that God has a strategy for your painful places? Do you believe God has a strategy for your painful places? And three, Maybe it's time to start making some new lists. Start working on them. Zephaniah 3.17, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. 
He will rejoice over you with singing. So my prayer for you is that God will give us his song in the night. So sisters, sorry. Live like you belong to Jesus. Let's pray. Where would we be without you, Jesus? We don't want to know. Thank you so much for the awful price that you paid for us to be more than conquerors, not just survivors, but thrivers in this world. Uh, Would you meet us in those painful places that you love to dwell in, you love to hover in, you love to cover and heal in? Thank you, Father, that publicly I I can really say now that all things do work together for good. That really nothing can separate us from you. It can try really hard, but it cannot. So we thank you that we are safe, blood-bought daughters of the King, and we pray that we would live a life worthy of that calling. Help us to be lights in this world, we pray, and get your glory in our story. In Jesus' name, amen.